0: Second Chronicles, Chapter Twenty. If you'd go there with me, guys. Did you ever notice every dramatic movie has, in some way, shape, or form, the, the hero that breaks through at the very last minute. Every, every good movie, they're surrounded and it looks like there's no way of escape and then victory. And, and, and it's just dramatic and it's just fun. And every movie is, is trying without knowing it to glorify the Lord and his story. The narrative of that the darkness surrounding the hopelessness and then light at the last minute breaks through, repeated in every movie is simply the great narrative, the great hope that we have, even as we're living right now in the midst of darkness, of rescue at the last minute. Well, I preached a couple of weeks ago on Easter about properly place hope in the living one. And we talked about Luke 24 and the two guys on the road to Emmaus and how they were downcast, even though they had tons of revelation and they had, they had miracles that were seen and, and they saw Jesus the whole way through his ministry, but they said, but we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Well, he did redeem Israel. But they didn't see it because they were looking with natural eyes. And so we talked about the reason that we're downcast is because we place our hope down on things on the earth. And the Holy Spirit spoke in my heart and I share with you guys, get your hopes up. Literally, get your hopes from your situation, your breakthrough, the answer to prayer, the finance, your spouse, whatever, the healing, and get your hopes on Jesus. Because he's going to perform, he's going to bring the answer in such a way that's different than we all thought. Get your hopes up on him, and you will not be disappointed. No one who hopes in the Lord will be put to shame. Well, I want to kind of give the the second half to that word today. We talked about placing your hope in Jesus, and I want to talk about the reality of the Lord's template called hopelessness for us. And I don't know why he does this. Well, I I think I do. I'm going to say it here in a minute. There's probably a lot of reasons, but... But I, I just can't help from sharing a list with you, I jotted down this morning, of all of the stories from the, from the beginning, of so many of the stories from the beginning to end, of just hopeless situations. And I, I, at risk of, 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 of going through a long list here, I, I want you to stay with me because it's replete and it's replete for a reason. So Abraham, the father of our faith, the father of faith for us, had to be as good as dead. And his wife Sarah's body had to be beyond childbearing years until God was ready to break through and bring the answer. Complete hopelessness. Joseph had to be put in a well and then he had to be put in Potiphar's prison and then when the cupbearer and the breadmaker didn't, didn't remember him, he had to stay there two more years. A complete Catastrophe in life before he was raised up to become the prince of Egypt. Jacob, his dad, had to say, Well, I've lost Joseph. He thought he died. Now I've lost Benjamin. All is lost. I have no hope in the world. And I'm going to go down to Sheol in tears. Before he broke through and saw, actually, Joseph ruled the world and Benjamin was alive. Judah, his brother, said, I give my life now for Benjamin. Take me and not him. He had a complete reversal and he totally lost all hope in himself and gave his life up and it broke Joseph's heart. Moses' parents, they were killing all the babies. Moses' parents said, we're hopeless. Put this little baby out in the river and we hope that God will watch over him. And he was drawn out of the mighty waters and saved from death. The Israelites had to make bricks without straw Their deliverance was close at hand, but it grew worse and worse and worse before they were delivered. Israelites stuck against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them, hopeless. Israel had to go three days without water, hopeless. They cried out to the Lord. Moses threw a stick in the water. It became pure for them to drink. No food for millions, hopeless. Will God spread a table in the wilderness? And the answer was, yeah, absolutely he will. He will. Manna and quail. Who could have thought that? Gideon, impoverished, oppressed by the Midianites. He was the least man of the least clan in Israel. And the Lord showed up and said, mighty warrior. Spoke hope into his heart in a situation that was dire. Let's start with 32,000 guys. It's way too many. Let's send 22,000 away. Now I've got 10,000 guys against 135,000 Midianites. The Lord's like, no, it's way too many. Let's go from 10,000, knock 9,700 off, and go down to 300. That's about right. That's about right. And what are your weapons? Torches and clay pots. All right, now we can move forward, the Lord says. Routed the enemy. Jonathan and his armor bearer. One sword for Saul, one sword for Jonathan. The Philistines had taken all the swords for the children of Israel. And they're going up against tens of thousands of charioteers and chariots and horsemen. And Jonathan rose up, he climbed up a cliff and ran against the Philistine army and he routed them. Elijah, Jezebel, Ahab, Matt preached on it last week. They are killing all the prophets. Hopeless, drought. At the very end, fire came down. Brought rain from heaven. David's entire life was up against hopelessness and death. Lions, bears, Goliaths. Oh my! The whole thing was bad for him. Second Chronicles 20 gets to the center verse of the entire Old Testament. Now, writers when they were doing it, they were always pointing back to the center here. And so the center verse of the Old Testament is found here, at least in the English Bible, in this chapter. You guys remember the story. King Jehoshaphat finds out that the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Minuites had all joined forces in a vast army and come against Judah. They were coming to attack, right? It's a a famous chapter. It's a glorious chapter. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat uh, uh, resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast. And he prays this amazing prayer back to the Lord of remembrance. You rule over the kingdoms and the nations. And he gets to this famous verse in verse 12. For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You. And so then the prophet comes to Jehoshaphat in verse 17, the middle verse of the Old Testament, so that we get the point. This is the center of what the Old Testament is trying to say, and it says this. You, listen, this is the middle verse. You will not have to fight this battle. This is what you have to do. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah, and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, go out and face them tomorrow, the Lord's with you. That's your job. Don't be afraid. And then what do they do? They gather the worshipers and they put them in front and they say, blessed be the name of the Lord. They say, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And as they begin to sing, the Lord sets ambushes against them. The enemy turns on each other, they kill all of them all, themselves off, and there's so much plunder that it takes the Israelites three days to carry it all back. Nehemiah, he hears that the children of Israel are in, in trouble, that those who were in exile and brought back, they're in great disgrace. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned. He fasts and prays. Esther, when evil Haman comes to destroy all the Jews, the very day that the edict had come that the Jews were supposed to be wiped out, the tables get turned. And the Jews actually wiped them out the day of Purim. For such a time as this, Esther was there. They fasted and they prayed. Job lost everything and everyone dear, hopeless. And at the very end, it was restored twofold when he saw the Lord. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in the fiery furnace. Even if the Lord does not save us, we will not worship you, king. We'll not pray to you. Right after that, in Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. He should not have survived. And then you get to the New Testament. And you get Elizabeth, old Past childbearing years, you're gonna have John the Baptist. You get Mary, a virgin, no chance for her to get pregnant. You're gonna have the Christ child. All of Jesus's ministry, he's coming up against hopeless situation. The spirit of the Lord was on him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the captives. The woman subject to bleeding for 12 years, all of her money spent on doctors and he touches her when she touches him in a moment. And then he raises the 12-year-old girl that had already died. Hopeless situation. He provided food out of nothing for thousands. The demoniac in caves was coming and he was a hopeless case and he healed him and he restored him. Blind eyes were open. Dead sons raised to life. And then the most hopeless situation of all where it looked like we were completely dead and gone was the cross. We had no hope Like the disciples said in Luke 24, we had hoped he was the one, but now he's dead and gone. And then he breaks through on that great day and raises to life, and light pierces through the darkness. Paul said, I want you to know in Philippians 1 that the very thing that's happened to me, me being imprisoned, has actually happened to advance the gospel. Because now people are confident and they're boldly sharing their faith. You thought it was hopeless, but the Lord turned it to good. Why am I saying all of this to you and to me? It's because the Lord says, my righteous one will live by faith. And so the requirement of faith to have the eyes of faith opened is that the eyes of natural sight have to be Close. Now listen to me. Samson, the first recorded words of Samson in the book of Judges are, my eyes have seen a Philistine woman. Go get her for my wife. First recorded words of Samson. Pay attention to his eyes in that story. Go back and look at it. The last recorded words of Samson, a couple chapters later, Judges 16, are, sovereign Lord, give me strength one last time that with one blow I may destroy the Philistines and avenge them for my eyes. See, because he had to lose his natural eyes to be gouged out, because he was looking at women and lust and all that, so that he could have spiritual eyes open and pray to the sovereign Lord. Faith is essential. And, And the story of faith is that people who live by faith and walk by faith conquer kingdoms, Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick and look at that. The People of faith totally turn the planet upside down. People who play it safe and live by sight do nothing. They really don't. They, they exist. And so the Lord says, I'm after faith for you. And I know I'll get to, get to my, my main point on this in just a second. Look, at, look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Look down in Verse 37. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Think of the word hopeless as you're reading this. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who live by faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We fix our eyes on Jesus. What hopelessness does is it, is it perfects something. It takes us one way or the other. And so what, what I wanna say here is that it drains us, hopelessness gets us to the point where it drains us of our independent thinking, our dependence on human strength, it's like we're filled with that and, and, and these situations that are dire and difficult drain us of our human strength so that we might rest in God, because he says the battle's not yours, it's mine. You have only to stand firm and watch and see the deliverance. So that God might receive all the glory so that we may confidently stand firm in our faith. Think Ephesians 6 with me. That you might stand against the power of the devil. Listen, your situation right now, the difficulty, the problem, as 2 Corinthians 1 says, is that you might no longer rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. That you might be drained of your dependence on human strength, so that you can rest. Doesn't that sound good, rest? It sounds so good. The life of faith is a rested life. The life of faith is no longer carrying burdens and anxiety. The life of faith is, I'm a child. I will be completely provided for. I know he'll take care of me because he's a good father, no matter what comes. He receives glory from a life like that, and we learn to stand firm in our faith. Routing armies totally disrupting the kingdom of darkness and walking in authority. I had a dream on Friday night that I was in the atmosphere, I was in space, and I was looking at the globe, and a man was showing me different parts of the globe, different land masses. And there were parts of it, the land mass, that was Covered in what looked like a brownish red. And he said, revival is spreading across the land here. It was almost like I saw North and South Korea. And he went over to another landmass, and it was like at the tip of the landmass, this blood red started moving across the land. He said, revival is going here. And he took me to another part of the globe. Revival is starting here in a small city, and it's beginning to spread. And as I heard this man explaining this to me, my thoughts went to the enemy. And I thought, the enemy's freaking out right now because there's revival happening and the blood of Jesus is permeating and covering the earth. And I woke up. Well, then I heard a dream right after that from a trusted prophetic voice in the body of Christ. And in this dream, he walked into a poker hall and in this poker hall, there was a table with seven seats at the table. And one seat had a political figure at it, and five seats had megachurch pastors at it, and one seat was empty at this poker table. Well, the political figure playing Texas Hold'em had pocket aces, pocket rockets, and it was a, that's a powerful hand. And he threw the pocket aces down on the ground and all five megachurch pastors folded their hands. But then a man walked into the room with a t-shirt on called The Remnant and he put his cards down on the table and he had a full house. And it was as if he said the political figure did not expect that hand to be played. Now listen to me, guys. I'm not against, I'm not anti-megachurches at all. I don't think they're biblical, but I'm not anti, I, I, there's, there's people who have, yeah. Bless those who are trying their best to follow. I don't think that's the model. The danger in that is that you get a man and a name and an organization and at all costs, the show must go on. And so when it looks like we need to fold and cower to the political figures of the day, that's what we do in megachurches sometimes. Sometimes. But the remnant, a small chosen people, the real church chosen by grace, who is not moving anywhere and not folding because they're intimidated, has the full house. The Lord has the full house. And the enemy is not expecting that, but the Lord's going to win. Now, listen to me. What if all of this looks dark and there's California laws about infanticide being passed and there's just, just... debauchery all over the place and there's evil all over and it makes us feel like we're losing but what if from a different perspective we're about to win what if we're holding the winning hand and i'm prophesying to you guys we are holding the winning hands we win i promise we win guys and so it's people like this that have faith in the lord to say in the most helpless situations, I'm actually standing in strength that rout the enemy forces. It's not people who do the math and have said, based on my analysis, I need to go hide in a hole in the ground right now. Those people don't win. It's the people who, who like David, say, you come at me with the sword and javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, my God." Nothing can stand against a man or a woman like that or a church like that. So let me land this plane in Psalms chapter 20. Last place, go with me to Psalms chapter 20. I wanna remind you guys that when the enemy was coming against the Israelites, those things were written for our instruction. Everything that Israel went through was written so the church could understand what they're going through, yeah? So David in Psalms 20 is about to go up against a vast enemy. They are coming against him with chariots and horses by the thousands, outnumbered Philistines, Moabites, Edomites, Ammonites, multiple different armies coming against him. And David prays this prayer before he goes into battle. Now listen, it's eight verses long, nine verses long. Right when he's getting ready to go face the enemy to outnumber him, that have all of the weaponry that he doesn't have, David says this. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you strong support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May God give you, David, the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we sing and shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. That the Lord saves. He gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Listen, some trust in chariots. Some boast in chariots. And some trust in horses. They rely on horses. But we boast in and we rely on and we trust in and we remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and march forward and stand firm and upright. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. This is before he even gets on the battlefield, guys. He won the victory in a helpless situation before he ever got to the battlefield because he did not put his trust in what he saw naturally with his eyes. He put his trust by faith in the name of the Lord, his God, the Lord's character. Because when you walk in authority, when you walk in power and anointing and authority, it requires two things. It requires you to have confidence and revelation. Revelation in God's purposes and his plans and confidence in his nature, who he is, his name. And so David says, I believe that you have given me the victory already and I'm confident I put my trust in the name, in the character, in the heart of the Lord. No one walked in more authority than Jesus did because he had revelation of the Lord's will and confidence in who he was. And that's for you and me, guys. We put our trust not in chariots and horses, but in the name of the Lord our God. As a postscript, we get all the chariots and horses too. David was going up against the enemy that was actually bringing him plunder, right? David confiscated those chariots and horses. The Israelites in 2 Chronicles 20 confiscated the plunder, The very thing coming against you right now is made to be turned around, just like in the type of Esther and Mordecai and Haman. The very thing that's coming against you is made to be turned around and be a blessing to propagate and promote the kingdom of God more on the earth. Who is a God like our God? The very thing coming against you is made to be a slingshot to produce glory for the Lord and damage to the enemy. Do not live in fear, little flock. Listen to me, do not live in fear. The Lord has been well pleased to give you and me the kingdom. We have the authority in Jesus' name. Buckle up. Buckle up. Right, Teresa? July of 2020. I was preaching, a, I was getting ready to preach a sermon. And she had a word buckle up. Buckle up sounds bad, like I'm about to go through a terrible wreck. No, it was buckle up. Put the armor of God on. Buckle up. Get ready. You're going to win. You're going to be victorious. Some of you might die. Praise the Lord. But we win. We win, church, I promise. Do not live in fear, especially if you're in a hopeless situation right now. Live by faith in a God who turns hopelessness into bright hope. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want to encourage you Not to leave if you feel in any way, shape, or form hopeless today. If you are feeling in any way, shape, or form discouraged, tempted to give up, if you're going through a dark time, do not leave. Come forward and receive prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see your plans for us. I pray that we would be a people with bold confidence in your plans for us. I pray that we'd know your heart and character. I pray everyone in here, God, would put their hope in the name of the Lord their God. And Lord, I pray that we would see a routing work of the enemy done here in Eldreda, Kansas. I pray for what comes against us, what the enemy intends for evil. Turn it to good, God, in Jesus' name. In the lives of all these precious brothers and sisters of mine and those who are listening, take what's meant for evil and turn it to good. Joseph's brothers meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Let us see your plan and your purpose unfold. I pray that we could stand. I'm asking today for those who feel weak to be strengthened in their inner man, Lord. We look to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name.